for whom the bell tolls 800,000 COVID victims in the U.S. and counting. These non-privileged texts are further evidence of President Trump's supreme dereliction of duty during those 187 minutes. Dramatic new evidence about what really happened during the January 6th coup attempt will go in depth with a Republican congressman. I'm Paul Brandis. You're listening to West Wing Reports. It's Friday, December 17th. It has been nearly a year now since the U.S. Capitol, your Capitol, was attacked by pro-Trump forces who broke in, assaulted numerous police officers, set up a gallows, and went hunting for everyone, from Vice President Mike Pence to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Their ultimate goal was certainly to halt the certification of Joe Biden's election win. In the years since, information about that dreadful day has come out in bits and pieces. This week, though, some of the most important info yet, a PowerPoint showing just how the White House could flip the election turned up, and while the pro-Trump crowd was rampaging through the Capitol, top Republican officials, Fox News personalities, even Donald Trump Jr., desperately sought to stop it. They texted Mark Meadows, at the time the White House chief of staff. We know this because Meadows turned this information over willingly to the bipartisan committee that's investigating the January 6th attack. Here's one Republican on the committee, Wyoming's Liz Cheney. Mr. Meadows received numerous text messages, which he has produced without any privilege claim, imploring that Mr. Trump take the specific action we all knew his duty required. These text messages leave no doubt the White House knew exactly what was happening here at the Capitol. Members of Congress, the press, and others wrote to Mark Meadows as the attack was underway. One text Mr. Meadows received said, quote, we are under siege here at the Capitol. Another, quote, they have breached the Capitol. In a third, Mark, protesters are literally storming the Capitol, breaking windows on doors, rushing in. Is Trump going to say something? A fourth, there's an armed standoff at the House chamber door. And another from someone inside the Capitol. We are all helpless. Dozens of texts, including from Trump administration officials, urged immediate action by the president. Quote, POTUS has to come out firmly and tell the protesters to dissipate. Someone is going to get killed. In another, Mark, he needs to stop this now. A third, in all caps, tell them to go home. A fourth, and I quote, POTUS needs to calm this shit down. Indeed, according to the records, multiple Fox News hosts knew the president needed to act immediately. They texted Mr. Meadows, and he has turned over those texts. Quote, Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us 
He is destroying his legacy, Laura Ingram wrote. Please get him on TV, destroying everything you have accomplished, Brian Kilmeade texted. Quote, can he make a statement, ask people to leave the Capitol, Sean Hannity urged. As the violence continued, one of the president's sons texted Mr. Meadows, quote, he's got to condemn this shit ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough, Donald Trump Jr. texted. Meadows responded, quote, I'm pushing it hard, I agree. Still, President Trump did not immediately act. Donald Trump Jr. texted again and again, urging action by the president. Quote, we need an Oval Office address. He has to lead now. It has gone too far and gotten out of hand, end quote. But hours passed without necessary action by the president. These non-privileged texts are further evidence of President Trump's supreme dereliction of duty during those 187 minutes. Let's go a bit deeper here and add some context. And for that, I called an old friend, Joe Walsh, a former Republican congressman from Illinois. Now, what do you make of this? There's so much going on with this uh, insurrection, coup, whatever you want to call it. Stuff I prefer to call it a coup because that's what I think it was. So this week you had uh, Trump Jr., a whole bunch of lawmakers, a whole bunch of Fox News, these primetime anchors and, and everything. So they're texting Meadows, the chief of staff, to somehow urge the president to try and end this violence that we all saw unfolding on January the sixth. Now, first of all, why do you suppose uh, Junior Trump Junior? Why didn't he just pick up the phone and call his dad? Why on earth would he send a text to the chief of staff? It sounds like he didn't really want to talk to his dad directly about this. But what do you make of it? Yeah, I'm not. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, Paul, I'm not qualified to answer that because who the hell knows what the relationship is between Junior and his old man? But you know, it. Ex- because I come from the world of Congress and I come from the world of conservative media, this story this week certainly exposed the hypocrisy and the dishonesty of people like Hannity, Laura Ingram, and the rest. Because look, in real time, they knew January 6th was an abomination and they were scared. And then they've spent days, weeks, and months since downplaying January 6th. So they're hypocrites and they're liars. Mark Meadows, I know well. Uh, the, 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 the next bigger story should be Mark Meadows no longer cooperating with the committee, which is really despicable. Now, uh, on that note, you know, it's interesting that uh, the folks will come back to the Fox News folks in a second. But uh, the folks that were talking about Meadows and all these other lawmakers, and I know that, you know, uh, a lot of these folks, they claim to be law and order people, respect the Constitution, this kind of thing. And yet their very actions leading up to January 6th and their actions uh, that day, as we now see uh, anything but law and order. And I think there's only one word to describe that you used it, in fact. 
hypocrisy. Yeah, you know, Paul, it, what, it makes me so sad. Uh, Jim Jordan, Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan and I were really good friends when I was in Congress. And back then, I mean, once upon a time, eight years ago, Jim Jordan told me he believed in the Constitution and democracy and the rule of law. I, I don't know where that Jim Jordan is anymore. Uh, uh, Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, all of these guys, they have they have sold out over the years. You and I have talked about it. They've sold their souls uh, to this guy, Donald Trump, and to the Republican voters. And it's really, in my mind, put my former political party on a real death spiral. Well, why don't they understand the, the broader implications of what is going on here? Namely, this sounds maybe melodramatic, but uh, I think the shoe fits. That, that our democracy, all 250 years of it, is really under assault. Do they not understand that or do they simply not care? I mean, help my listeners understand what uh, what are they thinking here? Uh, they're thinking they're going to take back the House in 2022. Period, well, Paul. Think think about that. You rightly said our 250-something-year-old democracy is hanging by a thread. Guys like Jordan and the rest of them, they're thinking about 2022 taking back the House. Kevin McCarthy, who I served with, who's an absolute tool, he, he doesn't understand what you just said, Paul, that our democracy is hanging by a thread. He is only thinking about becoming speaker. That's it. And speaker of what? I mean, a democracy that doesn't exist? I just don't under, you know, I mean, I just don't understand that. Speaker of what? Well, it, they, they, I think overwhelmingly, and this is what I've heard from my former colleagues privately for the last few years, ever since I came out against Trump, overwhelming, they, overwhelmingly, they believe Trump is bad, but eventually he's going to go away and things for the Republican Party can go back to where they were. Now, they had hoped that that would happen after 2020, once Trump lost. He's not going away. He'll be the nominee in 24. So they tell me privately, okay, we'll have to wait another four years. But eventually Trump's going to go away and the Republicans can go back to where what they were. I, I just think that's way too late. Now, you live in Illinois and I'm in Washington and live in Virginia and all that. But, uh, uh, you know, I assume you travel a fair amount, even with the pandemic, I, I guess. And and I do, too. And when you get out of the Beltway, you talk to people. Uh, I don't get a sense and tell me what you think. I don't get a sense that uh, what is going on here with uh, the January 6th investigation and who knew what and when that people around the country aren't really paying attention to it. Oh, it's just more of these Washington games and, and that kind of BS. Uh, what can be done to really make people understand that the stakes here are really as high as high can be? That, again, our democracy is really under assault. Why don't people uh, understand this and what can we do to persuade them? You know what, Paul? I, I think the Democrats really blew it. <laughs> Our, our, our democracy was attacked. It was a coup. It was an insurrection on January 6th. The Democrats, within a day or two or three of that event, should have uh, formed this committee. And I know the Republicans weren't cooperating, but screw them. 
Uh, this demanded immediate attention. Paul, here we are almost a year later, and what are we doing? I know the committee's doing work, but nobody who incited the insurrection has been held accountable. Uh, because I come from Trump world, I hear from Republican base voters every day. These are the people who need to hear the truth about these texts. They never will hear the truth. So you know what? It's incumbent upon the rest of America uh, before the 2022 elections to understand what you just said, that our democracy hangs by a thread. And Paul, if that doesn't get people out to vote against my former political party, I don't know what will. Well, it certainly doesn't look like uh, the Democrats are going to keep the House. I mean, even in even absent Trump and everything, I mean, midterm elections almost never go the way of the party in power. Anyway, I don't know why they would need a, a coup attempt to try and, uh, you know, tilt the, you know, put their thumb on the scale or whatever here. I mean, they're probably going to win Congress. Uh, anyway, what would happen, by the way, to the January 6th commission? I don't know when they're going to wrap up, but what would happen to the commission uh, in, uh, say, a Republican dominated Congress? Could they just get rid of it? Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll they will disband the committee immediately. My hope is and here's something most people aren't aware of. You know, the committee's interviewed. Uh, about 290 some witnesses. My yeah. hope is, and I know this, by the way, Adam Kinzinger and I are good friends. He sits on that committee. The committee is going to put out information in 2022, well before the midterms. They will have a report. They know what you and I know, Paul, that once the Republicans take control, the committee's gone. So they know their their deadline is, I think, summer of 22 to really put out what they've learned. Now, to come back to just uh, what ordinary Americans are thinking, doing what they know about all this, uh, how do we get off this uh, slippery slope that we're on? What do we have to do? And what and what did just ordinary folks have to do besides just go out and vote? I mean, what uh, how do we get off this slope? Well, Paul, that's such a great question. Uh, I'm asked it a lot and I never have a really very good answer. This is a really unique moment in American history. I believe that one of our two major political parties is dying. I really do believe the Republican Party is dying as a national party. But having said that, what we're going to witness over the next number of years is the last ugly dying gasp of a political party. And it's going to get ugly. So this is one of those unique moments where I'm a conservative. I'm still a proud Tea Party conservative. I've got to lock arms with Democrats to defend democracy. And I think that's the message we have to continue to push. I'm not a Democrat. I think the Democrats do a lousy job of messaging. I wish they could get up on the soapbox every day and do what I and many former Republicans do because we're aware of the threat. Um, they, they really, and I look, Joe Biden's a decent man. Uh, and maybe it's not his role, Paul, but boy, you don't get this clear message from the Democrats that our democracy is hanging by a thread. Yeah, you really don't. I just don't know anybody who's really speaking about that. Well, other than uh, Liz Cheney, I really yes. don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, she's a Republican, of course. I don't know any Democrats who are speaking about this with the power and the force and the clarity that is really needed here. And that's, I think, is 
I just find that very uh, dispiriting, to be honest with you. Well, think of Paul, think about what you just said. You're right. The Democrats could learn so much from Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney sits on that January 6th committee. And in essence, she's the only one whose message kind of gets out of the committee that the public hears. Yep. There are a number of Democrats on that committee. I can't tell you one Democrat who's spoken with the uh, the the force and the urgency that Liz Cheney has spoken with. That's interesting. It's almost like a she's like a modern day Paul Revere almost. I mean, uh, riding through the town. And uh, the yes. question is, are people uh, paying attention? Uh, all right, we'll have to leave it uh, right there. Joe Walsh, a former Republican congressman from Illinois, now an independent. Uh, thanks for ringing that uh, fire bell, by the way, and uh, keep up the good work. Uh, welcome and uh, good to have you here. Always good to be with you, my friend. Thank you. We hit a grim milestone this week. More than 800,000 Americans have now died of COVID-19. And cases are on the rise once again. The Delta variant remains dominant, but this new strain, the Omicron variant, is spreading rapidly as well. Altogether, the Centers for Disease Control reports more than 120,000 new cases a day. That's up some 70 percent since early November. President Biden says for the unvaccinated, the winter will be deadly. We are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for unvaccinated. For themselves, their families, and the hospitals, they'll soon overwhelm. But there's good news. If you're vaccinated, you have your booster shot, you're protected from severe illness and death, period. Number two, booster shots work. Three, boosters are free, safe, and convenient. The surge is causing holiday travelers, businesses, everyone really, to reevaluate their plans. And the Biden White House, as always, is urging all Americans who are eligible to get vaccinations and booster shots. On that front, federal officials are recommending the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines over the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because of a rare but potentially serious side effect in the J&J &J vaccine. The pandemic has now killed one of every 100 Americans over the age of 65, about three-quarters of the nearly 800,000 people who have died overall. In contrast, about one in 1,400 Americans under the age of 65 has died, a large subset of these folks who don't believe in vaccines and masks. That data, by the way, from the CDC. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.
President Biden's poll numbers have been sliding for months, ever since he took office, really, though they bottomed out in mid-November and have moved up a couple of points since. That's according to Real Clear Politics and 538, which both aggregate all recent polling data. One thing that may be giving the president a lift now is the recent passage of his big infrastructure bill. And in turn, one big part of that is the replacement of lead pipes in millions of homes and schools. We got new details this week on the administration's plan. As Vice President Kamala Harris explained, this is a deeply personal issue for parents. Parents who were worried that every time they turned on the faucet, to get their child a, a glass of water, that they may be filling that glass with poison. Parents who worry as they make breakfast in the morning or in the evening help their children to brush their teeth, that they are exposing their children to something that could harm them. And the science is clear about what drinking water from a lead pipe can do to the human body. For adults, it can cause an increase in blood pressure and decrease kidney function. For children, it can severely harm mental and physical development. It can stunt growth, slow down learning, and cause irreparable damage to the brain. So the bottom line is that there is no reason in the 21st century for why people are still exposed to this substance that was poisoning people back in the 18th century. This is not a partisan issue. Lead pipes cause a lot of damage. The only downside here is that replacing these millions of pipes, an estimated 10 million in fact, will take years, but that job is about to begin. On the economic front, what do you want first, the good news or the bad news? Okay, the good news. The Federal Reserve, in a switch, now says it's looking to raise interest rates three times next year. That's good because higher rates will help curb inflation. Now, the bad news. The Federal Reserve, in a switch, now says it's looking to raise interest rates three times next year. That's bad because higher rates could slow economic growth. In other words, higher rates are both good and not so good at the same time. An increase in rates is why Fed Chairman Jay Powell says the Fed is cutting next year's estimate for economic growth to 4%, still good, but its previous estimate was 5.5%. Keep in mind that higher interest rates are sort of like chemotherapy for a cancer patient. Hopefully the chemo will kill the cancer, but it weakens the patient. And hopefully higher interest rates will kill inflation, but it can weaken the economy. And that's where we are. What's causing the inflation, by the way? Here's Pal at a news conference this week. I'll translate it into layman's terms on the other side. Supply and demand imbalances related to the pandemic and the reopening of the economy have continued to contribute to elevated levels of inflation. In particular, bottlenecks and supply constraints are limiting how quickly production can respond to higher demand in the near term. 
These problems have been larger and longer lasting than anticipated. As you just heard, one problem with bureaucrats is that they have a hard time explaining stuff in simple terms for regular folks. What Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, is really saying here is, hey, the pandemic has really screwed up the global supply chain, and we didn't think it would last this long. Now let's hear about another Evergreen podcast that I know you'll enjoy. On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one? Time now to open up the West Wing Report's archives and see what made history this week in the past. 1799, with just days left in the 18th century, the greatest American of that century died. It was George Washington, of course. The first president led the Continental Army during the Revolutionary War, called, and rightly so, the father of his country. A 2021 C-SPAN survey of historians, I was honored to be one of them, ranked Washington as our second greatest president. We are fighting in Korea for our own national security and survival. We have committed ourselves to the cause of a just and peaceful world order through the United Nations. We stand by that commitment. 1950, Harry Truman declared a national emergency following the surprise massive entry of communist China into the Korean War. Truman was so worried that he considered using atomic weapons against China. Nine were reportedly sent to the region. And 1978. The United States of America and the People's Republic of China have agreed to recognize each other and to establish diplomatic relations as of January the 1st, 1979. Nearly seven years after President Nixon's historic trip to communist China, President Carter said the U.S. would grant full diplomatic recognition to it and end formal ties with Taiwan. Carter also ended a treaty obligating the U.S. to defend Taiwan if it were attacked by China. That, by the way, is a very big issue in the news these days, of course. Want more history? Check out my books on Amazon. I'll sign them for you, too. Just shoot me an email, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. And need a speaker for your event? I do that, too. Current events, economics, analysis, history. I connect the dots and would love to hear from you. Speaking of books, I'll send you one if you download my new app. It's called West Wing Reports, available in the Apple and Android stores. Just download it on your phone or tablet. There's a button called What's on Your Mind? All you do is push, talk, and send. That's it. And the question I have for you is, how do you rate President Biden's performance so far? He's been in office nearly a year now. How do you think he's doing? Leave a comment and your name goes into a drawing for any of my books, your choice. I like to end each week with a quote, something you might find thoughtful. This week, it's from Ronald Reagan. He said, quote, 
Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Think about it. That's all for this week. West Wing Reports is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to C-SPAN and the National Archives for the audio clips. Our producer, sound designer, and engineer, Noah Fouts. Executive producers, Michael DeAloya and Gerardo Orlando. I'm Paul Brandis in Washington. Thanks so much for listening. We're going to take a Christmas break. We'll be back at the end of the new year. Happy holidays, and we'll see you in two weeks. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.